Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode five of series six of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. The case for diversity and inclusion in the workplace is compelling, not just because it is the right thing to do, but because numerous studies suggest it can drive better business performance too. An increasing number of territories are also introducing legislation that requires companies to publish diversity statistics. But how do you shift from a mindset of compliance to using these types of analysis as a catalyst to drive behavioral change? Our guest on today's episode is Katie Gray, who looks after Rewarder Arab and who has been at the forefront of gender pay gap reporting at the company. She is using these insights to help shift what was a data-centric to a people-centric exercise. In our conversation, Katie and I discuss the role of reward in a people-focused organisation. We talk about the intricacies and challenges involved in gender pay gap reporting. And, we, and she provides examples of how the insights from gender pay gap reporting have helped drive behavioural change at Arab. We also look into the crystal ball and ponder what the future of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone in an HR leadership or people analytics role, as well as HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes and support initiatives around gender and equal pay, as well as the wider diversity and inclusion area. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 6 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. As research increasingly shows how important diversity is for business, Companies worldwide strive to ensure their teams are inclusive, productive and remunerated fairly. GATSquare offers employers insightful pay analytics software and assessment, working with global corporations to measure and take action around inclusion and fair pay. Take a look at GATSquare's current framework, benchmark your work and learn where you need to invest your efforts to foster change today. As competition for talent increases, there's never been a better time to accelerate fair play. Learn more, head to gatsquare.com forward slash accelerate. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Katie Gray, Reward Manager for Arab to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Katie, it's great to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, could you give listeners a quick introduction to yourself and your role and also your unconventional route into HR? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, I'm the reward manager Arab for UK, India, Middle East and Africa. So covering a few markets um, around, um, predominantly sit within the pay pay space within reward. Yep. Um, but we also look at benefits and um, other governance that comes in. Um, and then in, in terms of, sort of my route into HR, it's probably a little, as you say, unconventional. So um, following university, I studied law and then hit the financial crisis. So that's <laughs> a slight clear to how old I am as well. But then um, I actually started in international aid and development. So I think I've always had a um, leaning towards people. Yeah. Um, and then having left the charity sector, I actually just took a bit of a random job through a friend um, and ended up working as a tax consultant um, and particularly then fell into the more exec comp reward work and um, share schemes, incentives, and, and putting those in for uh, enterprise organisations, really, um, as well as some of the financial reporting that came out at the time post the financial crisis. Yeah. So then doing that, I, um, I had a, a call about a role um, at another company in-house and then moved from consulting into um, reward in-house. And that's, that's the start of my reward career, really. And it's interesting because we're noticing lots of um, people coming into HR from unconventional mm. routes. And I think as, as HR becomes more analytical, uh, more digital, uh, maybe more focused on the end user, i.e. Yep. The, the, the employee or the worker, 
Um, we are seeing a lot of different skills coming into the space, which is good. And in our prep call, um, I really love this way you described it. Actually, <laughs> you described your vision of reward and the important role it plays in a people-focused yeah. organisation. It'd be great if you could share that sure. with our listeners. Um, I think I remember a couple of years ago when I was consulting, we we had some sort of training around being able to tell people what you do. I think rewards have been quite an unknown area. You know, you're at a party and you say, oh, I work in HR, and everyone has assumptions about what that means. Go see the other side of the room. <laughs> yeah, or, um, yeah, and makes comments, and, you know, you kind of get all of it. But um, when you say I work in reward, people sort of say, well, what is that? And I think I started out saying, oh, it's a bit of a cross between finance and HR. And I thought, it doesn't really cut the mustard for what it is. And I think then people said, oh, so you're payroll. And you think, well, no, not really. So after a while of working and, and having a look at it, for me, and, and this is the draw for reward, it's really, for me, about taking the strategy of a company, taking what they want to do, how they want to do it, and then using that sort of psychological piece around how do you drive people to do that or how do you drive people away from other behaviours. So we often see, I think, with um, like with HR, you know, you, you get the sort of um, simpler side of things or particular organisations that don't have the, the strength in it in the same way. And I think reward can be the same. You can have a, a quite typical, what I would say, comp and benefits, which can be very just around um, running processes or the governance. But for me, reward is that that step further where you're you're helping an organisation as well to think about future impact and also yeah. then what has worked, what hasn't worked. Um, and I think for me, I've been I've been fortunate to work for companies where they've they've not just jumped on the bandwagon of things or tried something new just for the sake of it, but they've really been thoughtful about what they're doing. And so that all plays into it. And that piece around then reward very much being. Um, probably a bit higher level than just the pay itself. Yeah. And um, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It is, it? and it, I think that's what keeps it interesting and, and rewarding. It gives it the variety and um, it means you, you can be working across all sorts of different projects. And I think it helps with that. Um, often in reward you'll see that somebody wants to drive behaviour by maybe saying, oh, how do we pay this sort of thing? Yeah. And actually, that's that's often the wrong way around. And you need to be looking at the principles of how you do something and then you overlay how to pay it. So um, it, it does keep it varied and kind of have a finger in a few different pies here and there. And of course, one of the, you talked about reward being obviously very important to a mm. company's strategy and, and executing that yep. strategy for its people. Of course, one area where there's a lot of focus at the moment is around the whole diversity and inclusion yep. topic. Um, and you have you have responsibility for gender pay gap reporting yep. at Arab, uh, amongst other activities. And I was thinking, for someone who actually does does that work, what what actually is involved in gender pay gap reporting? First of all, yeah, and I think again that just depends on your company. So mm. for some organisations, it's really just about reporting the numbers. Yeah, it's about the calculations and then putting out the number out to um, to the world through the regs. Uh, but for us, it's it's more than that. It's understanding our business. It's understanding what's driving things. It's it's when we do the calculations, have we got underneath the surface of what they really mean, what they're, what they're driving? And EDI is, is becoming something that is um, being taken note of, and I think it's important to, to see. And gender pay really has, um, to some extent, I think, driven some of that at a time when it was already beginning to emerge. And it, it came off the back of, as well, the... Um, stats for having X amount of women at board level for FTSE 250s, but 
it, it was getting there, but it's just not getting there fast enough. Yeah. I, mean, I think it is a, a crude tool, but it's definitely made organisations sit up and take notice. Now, I know there are some sectors and some areas that just want to report their numbers, and that's all. But certainly I've been privileged to work for companies where it's actually about understanding what's going on. Yeah. And, and doing something different or actually looking at the, the crux of what it's there to do and what it's there to drive. So, you know, gender pay is about changing something that's a bit of a societal issue. It's big and it's huge and it's, it is tricky. Um, you can't fix years of history just in one no. reporting And apparently the World uh, Economic Forum says it will take 202 years or something to close yeah. the gap, which yeah. is actually better than the last time. They said it was 217 years, yeah. but it's still far too long, clearly. Yeah, it is. So, you know, and if you think about the generations that would take. So I'm not surprised we've seen some movement and, and people kind of thinking, yeah, we need to do something about this. And it, it does interest me because equal pay obviously has been legislation that's been in for so long. Um, it's been around before I've been around. So why suddenly have we got this change? And it's obviously not doing what it was expected to do or has driven had has driven change in behaviour, but not to the extent that we want it to and quickly enough. Yeah. So uh, for me, yeah, gender pay is wider. Yeah. Um, and again, that's that piece for me where you think about reward. It's not just about spitting out some numbers as governance. It's about understanding your organisation um, and how you're doing that for your people. And it's probably related to some of what, what you just said, but what are some of the challenges involved in collecting and analysing that data? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, working in any organisation, data is always tricky. Finding the data, where it's stored and which data you need. And Gender pay seems like a very simple calculation when you look at it. Oh, yeah, it's just, just an average and a mean, um, and then, then a separate median. So you then have to underline what actually is considered as pay in that scenario. So lots of organisations or people um, would think pay just means your contractual salary, yeah. your, your FTE amount, but it's not. It's, you know, you've got choice deductions that come into that, that take take account of how people are choosing to use their money, as well as then other little um, allowances or other amounts that get paid. And obviously, the larger the organisation, the more of those things you see. So making sure that you've also got the right eligible people included um, and what that looks like. And that can be quite tricky. That's the main bulk, I think, of where we spend our time is making sure we've got the right people included in that calculation. And um, when we spoke... Last week, you talked about some of the things that you need to look out for. I think you mentioned levelling, for example. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple of other things I think that you mentioned that you really need to, to, to look out for when you're doing this analysis. Yeah, I think with gender pay, you can have a number that looks great on the outside, but perhaps if you don't understand where it comes from, it can be covering things up. And if you can delve under the surface of really understanding your people and understanding what's going on across the different parts of the organisation it gives you a much better idea of what that number really means. We all know the phrase about damn lies and statistics, you know, so you can spin things. But I think what I have seen and, and talking with colleagues uh, in the industry, sometimes we might see if, if a company has a grading structure or a levelling structure, it might look at certain levels that it, it looks pretty good for women or that pay might be in favour of women. Mm. But perhaps it might be if you've not, kind of run the analytics you might not know it could be that you're not progressing your women quick enough so they've been longer at that level they've had more pay rises and therefore they are being paid at the top and that's where the calculation itself becomes a little bit crude yeah um, and trying to pull it up but certainly the more you do it you know why the, the government has said you know 250 people because 
you can have one individual that can really shift the number quite dramatically, which surprised me at the beginning. I was I was quite shocked when you kind of see one individual that might get um, a bonus for joining an organisation, or it might be that they've had a particular payout for something in in that month, in, in April, in the key snapshot date, and it changes then what it looks like. So you need to also understand those anomalies to be able to say, actually, that's an anomaly, rather than being able to say, um, you know, that's that's the standard of what the organisation is doing as well. Uh, and also, I, like, what fascinates me now, kind of moving on, is those things around those deductions and those choice deductions. So I think we've seen some some changes around childcare vouchers as well. And, and mm. when you start to look at things like that, that's when you ask more questions where you say, well, is it that just women are taking childcare vouchers versus men? Or have you got an organisation where men are taking more childcare vouchers versus the women? And that will affect the pay balance as well, what comes out in gender pay. So it's slightly more complex than people think. Yes. Um, and I think it, it, it can be the prompt. It can start the business asking other questions, which maybe get to, to deeper problems and, and challenges that they might want to solve. Yeah. So Katie, sort of developing one of the themes that you've, you've talked about there, really. How do you move away from just an, analysing gender pay gap for compliance mm. um, and use it as a catalyst to drive change in behaviour? Yeah, I think that's where it's really important to delve under the surface of gender pay. I think the more you know about what is driving behaviour, the more you can look at what you might want to think about moving or shifting in an organisation. I think when gender pay first came out, a lot of people uh, were quite confused as to the difference between gender pay and equal pay. And I don't think a lot of the media reporting helped with that. I used to sort of read articles and think, please don't do this to us anymore. This is not helping our communication. Because often the gender pay, equal pay would be intertwined um, as a phrase. Mm. But I think we, once you get past that point, it is, again, taking that understanding. Why is gender pay there? What's it there to do? What what do you want to do as an organisation? And for me, Arif is really about doing the right thing. And it's about its people. And they're invested in their people. And they're investing to change the world to be a better place. So they want to know more about their number and and what is driving that. So you have to start really getting under the surface of what are the things that you think might affect this Mm. and checking them out. And then sometimes that leads you off into a million kind of different warrens or you might go down a, a different path than you thought you would. And then trying to draw all that back. And I think certainly for me, it was beginning to just, kind of have a conversation with a couple of my colleagues as well to say, what do we think might be affecting our number? Let's run some analysis on that. And that might spit something else out and you think, oh gosh, that's not what I was expecting. I think the more you work with data, you have a gut feel of where you think it's going to go or, or yeah. for your organisation, the longer you're there, the, the more you see the sort of similar trends and what's coming out. So you begin to take a warrant and think, actually, this is one we want to go down. This is one we want to explore. Um, so it might be around classically you know we all know that there are uh, potentially highlights that people want to look at around leave types so it might be a sabbatical or an unpaid leave or it could be maternity so I might start with something like that and then move into other things that we we consider could be blockers or um, things that could hold people back within an organization and that's both for men and for women and unfortunately gender pay doesn't really allow in the same way for people who don't define as a gender because of the regulations but we still do quite a lot of reporting around not just the regulatory numbers but actually for the organization as opposed to just completing the tick box exercise and 
I think the more you do that and the more you break things down, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. But that's where you need the, the analytics to come in and say, what does that mean and where does that take me? What's, what's really pushing my gap number? Is there a particular lever? And I think the more you look at gender pay, there are probably a number of different levers that you can have a look at. But overall, the biggest one is representation. Mm. And that for me is, is, is how do you shift the representation then and what feeds into that? Because we could pull a couple of different levers each year, but it's not going to shift and change in the ways that we want to shift and change as an organisation. And that's why we're, we're kind of coming out of some of those warrens and we do that in our team, certainly. We absolutely kind of get to the absolute bowels of what it means, but where's it going to have a real effect and where's it going to real, really make a change? And that, that shift um, from trying to understand what gender pay gap means into how do we use this now to, to be a real sort of KPI or a tool to help us look at what do we want to do? And do you have any examples of of, of that Arab prompts that perfectly? In fact, you know, if, if, have you got the, some of the insights that initially came out from the gender pay gap reporting that's helped drive change and behaviour at Arab? Because ultimately, it's it's mm. it's what about it's changing behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's it's really moved from in the beginning, in the first year of reporting. Actually, it's it, it really was about understanding the numbers and understanding what gender pay means, and I. I think as the sort of, you know, two years of reporting, because we, we have now reported, so we report in November each year, so we report early. Mm. This is now our third year of reporting. And actually what we're looking at is where are we moving quickest in change and representation? Yeah. And where do we need to move more? And I think like a lot of organisations, we've made some really good changes around taking sort of the, the, the attract, develop and retain is thinking about what have we got going on in certain areas. So in Attract, you know, like a lot of organisations as well, we've really looked at the ways we're bringing people into the organisation. We've really changed how we um, maybe write an application for or a job description to help um, avoid some of the barriers that we classically knew might be there. Yeah. And actually, it will take time to see some of those feeding in to then the gender pay because it's a backwards-looking number but it means we are shifting and we are seeing that difference because we've made a change. Now, some of that was already in place before gender pay came in. It was, there were initiatives that were being looked at to be developed because, as you say, with EDI, it's not just about um, gender, but there's a wider piece of how yeah. you are bringing people into an organisation, what that diversity looks like. So having gone from, oh, my goodness, what is gender pay? What's our number? What do we look like? As most organisations did quite a number of years ago. It's moved into what does gender pay mean for us? And actually, we want to be about people in the wider EDI. So is gender pay becoming a part of that and not being so focused on just gender pay, but yeah. the wider EDI the wider thing, yeah. piece? So and gender pay, fits into that. Pay is just one component. It is. It's, it's interesting around job de job descriptions because mm. obviously the more data that we we, we, we absorb and see, the, the more you actually learn things about, you know, if we just look at gender, for example, so this classic one that I've seen is where, where, you, where are too many bullet points on a job description, men will apply for a job apparently if they, if they match about 60% yeah. of the bullets, whereas women will only tend to apply if they meet over 90% of the bullets. Yeah. So the more bullet points you have, probably the less women you're going to get applying, yeah, which seems... You know, it seems a silly. It seems a quite a simple um, insight, but it, it just shows how 
behaviour is, is, is different. I think one of my favourites as well was a, an example from a company where they had used bots or automation for CV screening, for example. But of course, it's only as good as the people building it and the biases that sit behind them. So what they found was the, uh, the, the algorithms were just moving towards a more biased position and really showing what some of those underlying unconscious biases were that were sitting in there. And that's that's really where, for me, gender pay is so important to know your organisation, but it still fits under that EDI. You, know? yeah, yeah. you can't change things if you can't change some of those underlying biases or... Um, or help people to see that they have a bias. I think a lot of people are just very unaware of of what that looks like or, or what it means, and 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 then how to address it in a way that perhaps um, is meaningful and isn't just a, a reactive um, piece of work. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and again, I think maybe doing the gender pay gap analysis helps prompt some of these questions further down mm. the line. Um, what well, like to switch slightly direction now. Continue on the gender pay gap stuff, but understanding the technology that, that you're using to support your work around mm. this, and particularly maybe not just doing the reporting, but maybe taking it that step further and really yeah. starting to do some work. There. So, how, what's what sort of technology, or what's the role of technology in, in supporting yeah. your work? I think uh, technology is a really important part to play, and, and digitalization is coming, and I think it's something that can really help um, teams and, and individuals add value because it can take out some of the um, grunt work, I guess, of doing something yeah, like this. Yeah. I think we, so we use a tool called GapSquare. It's a great online uh, cloud tool. It's very, very simple, very easy to use, but has got some great analytics sort of driven behind it and, and already set within the tool. So for us as an organization, um, as I spoke to you before, data is the thing that's really tricky to collate and look at. And certainly for us, trying to amalgamate everything into the same sort of data from you know your different types of employees so whether that's your overseas outbound international assignees um, to some of your more casual staff and then your regular payroll employees I think the hardest part was getting those together but actually the first thing that we did with the tool then was to use some of that data we'd calculated versus using how the tool calculates it and making sure that where we could those ban- those numbers match. So it yeah. was a great audit and a great check. And whenever you are looking at people numbers and governance and doing regulatory reporting, it's so important that you've got those audit checks and you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, that's, that's really key for me. I'm a bit of a data geek, so I love a bit of data as much as um, sometimes it pains me when people do take the mick out of that. But... Um, There's that's, nothing wrong with being a data guy. No, no, absolutely not. And I think that's where you begin um, to see a tool really helping you quickly identify maybe where there are things you think, well, why isn't that matching yet? Okay, you can go back to those numbers. Similarly, then, the tool is so handy to just be able to really flip in analytics. Excel's brilliant. It's still got its place. Um, I certainly don't think we're in a world yet where we're moving away from Excel as an analytical tool. Um, its capability is far beyond anything that I've seen um, enabled to do. But GatSquare certainly goes a long way for us. And I think one of the quickest things is rather than having to build your own formulas in the background, which takes quite a lot of time, yeah. because a lot of that's built into the tool, there are some great things where you can switch things on and off to be able to see what your number looks like. And that's whether you want to use maybe what does our FTE salary number look like versus the gender pay number. And that's a great calculation because actually it tells you that your FTE salaries may look one way, but perhaps there might be some allowances or other 
parts of um, the business where you're paying things because of whatever reason that might be that might be affecting those numbers. And again, that's another check for us, which is quite quick to then see what's yeah. going on. Um, the other great thing for me about um, this particular tool is I don't just have to use pay, so I can use other things. So I can look just at my allowances or I can look perhaps at pension payments because um, one of the things I'm starting to think about is, yet yeah, we're talking about pay here and now for an organisation, but actually this is a bit of a societal issue and though organisations can't always change society, we can start to highlight issues and mm. if there's a pay gap, there's going to be a pension pay gap because actually your pension is driven by what you get paid. And I think the stats are now looking at, and, and I've certainly seen some reporting around, what does that pension pay gap look like? And um, certainly uh, very relevant for me. I've probably got a little bit of a, a, a kind of direction towards that because, you know, I'm being told my generation is not really going to have a pension by the time we get there unless we've done private pensions with companies. So. Yeah. What does that mean also then in that wider reward perspective when you're looking at um, perhaps some new generations coming in who don't necessarily want to give to pension but want the cash because then they're looking at buying houses in a market where it's very difficult. So <clears throat> pension then becomes something that's draining your you know, disposable income and it's trying to balance all of that up as an organisation. And it's then great to just use this tool to just quickly chuck in all your data it merges it all into one that you can use and start to pick out these individual things in a way that's just far quicker than being able to put those formulas in in Excel. Good. So technology helps. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you mentioned that you're in the third year now of yeah. doing the gender pay gap analysis at Arup. Yeah. You know, what have been your key learnings so far in the first couple of years? Um, so what worked well? You know, what yeah. didn't? And, and what would you do differently? Or what are you doing differently based yeah. on the first two years? I think I alluded to that, excuse me, <clears throat> a little bit earlier on that when you first start, you, you, you just chuck everything at this thing. Yeah. What does it mean? What does our organisation look like? And again, you push that out to the organisation. And we, we really wanted to look at not just our organisation as a whole, because that's the reporting, but have we got things in perhaps different business units that look a little bit different or might might suggest that we're doing something differently across um, those units that will change the way we're approaching it. Obviously, people are very different. So are there managerial things or behavioural things we're doing? So we, we broke it down quite a lot and we broke it down by our levelling and we broke it down by our areas. And I think that was absolutely brilliant to do in the first year. And I'm not sure I'd do it differently, but actually we are learning from it. You're and getting more sophisticated, and progressing I guess. Into, yeah. to what we want to see. And so sort of three years in there, what, what we're really looking at is our team still very much looks at the details. We still do that. What are our levers? What do they look like? But rather than bombarding a business as well with every little change, what are the things that are really going to make a difference? And I think pretty much for a lot of organisations from the reporting I'm reading as well as for ours, it's about that representation piece in particular the senior level. Yeah, I think the the gender pay gap has really supported some of the initiatives we've already had in. So it has been a tool for us to look at. Yeah, actually, in that attract space, that's going really well. We've we've been able to um, get any 50-50 split with our graduates for the last couple of years, which is just excellent in an engineering market. And that's been so uplifting for us because we know that pipeline's coming through. Yeah. And we want to celebrate those successes. 
But yet on the other side, we know that we're not getting that same level of change at our senior levels. But that's very difficult in a market where um, there are less women. Mm. Um, engineering is pretty tricky for that. So then it makes you think about, right, if we're doing well there, how do we want to do other other stages of um, people's careers and other specific things we then need to target and look at? And again, that just feeds into that whole, um, what analytics are you running? But I think rather than having uh, all of that data going out to your organisation where perhaps as an expert, I probably understand it a lot better than just your general Joe on the street, Actually being able to do real analytics and say, these are the important bits. These are the things that we need to focus on. And again, that comes back to that vision for me about reward. What's the strategy of the company? What's the company about? And what are the things that are going to probably sit well? Some quick wins. You know, let's be honest about that as well. But how do we move things to a place where we're focusing on the right things? And that's quite a responsibility. So that's where I say for us, we've got to know absolutely inside out what's going on. And I think in those three years, we've moved to some additional analytics. Um, We've moved to some analytics where we think, yeah, we're going to keep those absolutely the same. But also then helping the business to see that, yes, there might be 15 levers, but if you pull these two, that's going to make a big difference. Helps you identify the most important levers. Absolutely. Helps you understand, okay, these are some of the initiatives that we've done. and these, These are the ones that where we're going well. These are the ones we need to focus on more. And our analytics tells us these are the levers that we need to pull to, to do better in these specific areas. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's drilling down and then, I guess, telling that story. And pulling story, it back up. And telling yeah. that story, of course, then to the, the, the leaders, but also to the, to, to the workforce as well within the business yeah. in a way that they can digest. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and it's, it's really a, you know, you might say, well, gosh, are you choosing for the organisation? You've got to do it in collaboration. You've got to yeah. do it in conversation. And... I think now people are beginning to understand gender pay, it's easier to kind of pull out a bit more in that way. Whereas before, when people didn't understand necessarily what it was or, the, or that crudeness of the calculation or the complexity of it, you've got to be able to deliver that first to then pull people out. I don't think you could just go straight in and, and say, well, it's fine. You know, we've, we've, we've done the background work. Don't worry about that. We know it's just this one lever. But... I genuinely believe that representation, particularly at senior levels, and I know for us that's something we are definitely looking at, and we need to move faster in, that to do that will shift the numbers a lot more dramatically than some of the other things we might look at and look around. And of course, underlying all of this, although I say not to confuse gender pay with equal pay, you've always got to make sure you're looking at your equal pay as well. Of course. So when we were preparing for for our discussion a couple of weeks ago, um, you talked, you said something that was quite really struck with me actually you said that the you in your opinion the gender pay gap has moved from being a data-centric discussion to one that is far more people-centric i think it'd be great if you could explain a little bit about that and also maybe an extension of that so the people element clearly but also how this can be linked towards business outcomes as well yeah i think when you start and and that's probably what i've been talking around is you're very much looking at data and you're very much looking at uh, what's the data doing? How is it moving? Where is it going? Or are there things that you can to change move the data? But ultimately, this is driven by people. What we do in, in HR and people teams is driven by people. And I think there is a real move to, to looking at how we certainly take data, but are not so focused on data, and moving into what that means and how that then 
moves people into what they're doing. But also making sure, and the, the thing I always say to my team when we start salary review, so um, it is something I do, I mean, that's slightly separate to the gender pay. But I always say to them, what you have to remember in organisations is everything we do, there is an individual at the end of this. This is not just about a bunch of numbers or some assets or, you know, people are always your biggest and most costly asset, but they are still people. Mm. And they're looking at their value, their emotive. They want to know what does this number mean for me? And that's where you, you have to kind of take that data approach, but make sure you're still making it human and still helping people to understand what that means for them sat next to somebody of the opposite gender, particularly in gender pay, at their desk. And our gender pay gap number doesn't mean that if I'm doing a job and the person sat next to me as a man is doing that same job, that they are paid differently to me. But what it means is there are things within the organisation or the choices that we're making as individuals, as in employees, or in our case as members, because we're a member-owned organisation, that affect our pay. Mm. But also making sure that, that each individual understands what does gender pay mean for Arab? What does it mean we're doing as an organisation? And for us, I know the government reporting is moving to having narrative, and what we're seeing is they, they are really requesting that I think actually that's part of the legislation. You've got to start having this narrative. Um, they're not quite signed off yet <laughs> for various other reasons. Um, and that's really, for me, again, seeing that coming through legislation, that, yes, you've got to do your data and you've got to know your organisation yeah. through data. You can't escape that. But making sure you're then realising there are people that sit yeah. behind this. And what's what the story behind there. it and what's the impact? Yeah. And every you know type of technology, everything we use, everything that we are moving into that digital focus, it's still about the end user. You know, there's things that we need absolutely as a team, and, and HR needs to be able to to look at and do, and for that system to work in. But I I think about digital technology around us at home as well. You've got to think about that end user and how it works and how easy it is to understand. So it's about communication. It's about what you're putting out to the business. It's how you're putting it out and how you're describing things that does become very important. And gender pay, I think we've seen that, and, and that move from here's a load of data and what it kind of means, and people asking questions, or well, why have we got that, or, or why is that not changing, to actually having probably a bit more narrative and a bit more about what it looks like. If you if you look at our, our gender pay gap online at the moment at arab.com, you know, we have the stats, they're all there, all of the numbers that we need to report, of course. But then we talk about under this attract, develop, and retain, what are we doing? What are we doing yeah. for our people? And what is it that those people need? And I think we start to see in organisations that there are different needs across the different generations and the different um, groupings of people, however you want to look at them. But what they're requesting and what they need looks different. And how do we then start to respond to that? Great. I mean, so I mean, communication so important. And as I think it's great that, that you're going that step further and actually putting the story out there as well and, and, and the actions that you're taking in, in each of those areas. Casey, it's been a great conversation. We've now come to the question that we ask all our guests on the show. Um, and, and actually, it was only five years away. So what do you think the role of the HR function will be in 2025? Yeah. Uh, I know it's terrifying, isn't it? Five years, it's 2025. I think we are certainly in a, in a time where HR or people teams, as we, we now kind of are using this phrase as well, are moving towards that data-driven people focus. Uh, I think there is no longer the ability to sit on the fence around digital. Um, 
again, I, I just, it always takes me out, you know, I, I get my phone out for everything to do, you know, whether I'm traveling, whether it's now that I do my um, regular weekly shop on the train on the way to work, I can, I can access so much through digital technology. And the same with our systems and our reporting, the better we're starting to look at things like analytics, and the more we're having these tools that make that easier, I think as HR professionals, we've got to start thinking about what that means. What do mm. those analytics do? How are they driving what we do as a business? And we've got to start taking them seriously. I think there's been quite a shift with all the governance that we're seeing in HR to um, a lot more of the large consulting firms taking on some of that sort of people HR role. Um, I know particularly with gender pay, lots of organisations do give that out to large consulting organisations. And... And actually, I think we've got to start bringing some of that back in-house as well and making sure that we are at the forefront of what's going on. We are understanding what that means for people and being quite um, quantitative as well as qualitative about what we're doing. And I think we we need to embrace change. I think it, it will be coming. It's coming. It's already here in some places. And it, it really needs to help us kind of be agile in how we're working, thinking about doing things maybe a bit differently. Yeah. But we've always got to keep people at the centre of what we're doing. So I think digital is there. It's going to change what we're doing. But I think we have to underline it with data and analytics. And that's, for me, I think where gender pay is really great because it's about people. And that's, that's for us, it is about our organisation. But it has to be supported with what's going on, what we're seeing, what are the trends. And we've got to be able to be a bit more analytical. I think I think it's, you know, it's already moved from that kind of gatekeeping. Oh, yeah, HR says, no, I can't do that. And um, <laughs> supporting employees to that more um, driving business, driving strategy. What's the purpose of what we're delivering? What does the business purpose look like? And how do we sit at those senior levels to help drive those organisations into to thinking more about their people? You can't run an organisation without people. I mean, unless you're a, an organisation that's just computers, you know, and things like, think about, you know, the BT kind of server of places, but you still need people. And there's still only far robotics go at the moment in terms of how intelligent they can be. People are our biggest asset. Let's get the most out of them. But not in a kind of like, let's drive them to the ground, get every, every bit of blood out of that stone. Yeah. But actually, how can we work smarter, more efficiently, and how do we use data and digital technology to move into that area so that actually as people teams we're adding value we're not just delivering what needs to be delivered but we're adding that adding additional value, value. Yeah. we're advisors and consultants within our own organizations um, and we have that space to really um, be able to do that and I think you've got to show to an organization how you can do that and really show to them this is how we're adding value to you and your people and if we can get really the most out of people and we can keep and we can retain and we can help people move on and come back because there are lots of shifts now, we'll get more out of them. The happier people are, the more productive people are, the more productive they are, the better for the business numbers as well. And we see that with gender pay and diversity. The more diverse um, an organisation is, the better their productivity is, yep. and the better their bottom numbers. Happier the customers better are. for all of us. Katie, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Thank How can you. people stay in touch with you? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, Katie Gray, um, or uh, please feel free to email me at work as well, katiegrayarab.com. Perfect. Katie, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. 
If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter there too. That's all for this episode and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We'd like to thank Gap Square again for sponsoring. We'll be back after a short break with Series 7. See you next time.